morning, everybody. Crappy Mondays. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by everyone's favourite Mark Steele impersonator, Mark Steele. Good morning, Mark. Hello. I'm quite <laughs> chirpy. Is that wrong? <laughs> no, it's just Monday morning. Uh, now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to demand a public inquiry and see how far you get. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on claims that the NHS is about to collapse from the Unite Union, who fear an outside organisation could be brought in to take over the running of it. Is it Unite or was it Unison? I think it might be Unison. Yes, yeah, unison. Right, today, the different union. Uh, more on that later. But first, I want to take you to pages two and three, where the Mirror reports from the cenotaph yesterday on Remembrance Sunday, where the King led the nation in remembrance for uh, the fifth time, but everyone made out like it was the first time because for once he wasn't being watched while doing it by his mum. Now, we'll have over on a little bit of page three on the right-hand side there, but there's much bigger and more words about it online. We can put the link in the comments in a minute is my report from a small contingent uh, of nuclear test veterans who joined that march. We've got a short video of them gathering before the march and explaining why it was important. Roll VT. Recognition is what we all need for being on that island. That was a horrible place at times. New Year's Eve on 1957, we left in a boat and got to Christmas Island the 28th of January 1958. Hey, we were young, we didn't clue what was going on, but we prepared it for the big bombs that were coming. These were the nuclear tests? That the nu- sorry, the nuclear tests, yes. Yeah. We were all sat down near the beach with our backs to where the bombs coming from, and they count down, you could hear it of the loudspeakers, five, four, three, two, one, when they dropped it, and then they counted up again. And the first thing that happened was a flash. And we were sat on the beach, or in the outside, with our backs to the explosion, with our eyes covered like this. And when it, the flash came, through you, you could see the bones in your fingers. Everybody says it, but it's true. And the next thing that arrived was the heat from the explosion. Now, you might have seen some of the other uh, veterans gathering behind them there on horse guards, and I was with them. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, Mark, was that all the veterans that were there, you know, they were, they were dripping, dripping in tin. There's a guy who just came behind Ron there while he was doing that interview. He had about 12 across his chest pocket. Um, and our nuclear test veterans don't have one. They were the only people on that march yesterday that were like, where's where's my medal? I don't have one. So they were wearing these black and yellow badges, which are um, the size and shape of a medal ribbon, but they don't have the medal on. And it's called the missing medal. And it's now being worn by their supporters as well in Parliament to signify the government's failures to treat these men with any honour. And some of them in their marching <clears throat> have had blood and urine samples taken from them during the nuclear tests. And they're now being refused access to them by the MOD archives and agencies, which have held them back for up to 70 years in some cases. Um, and I think yesterday, this is probably, you'll see there's quite a lot of ladies there behind them also wearing the yellow and black. They're the wives and the widows and the children. They're marching because their dads have already died. They're, the 22,000 odd that took part in this is about 20,000 have gone. There's only some of these guys left. Steve says it's very moving to see them on TV. Normally they aren't even featured. They're airbrushed out as they have been from history by successive governments. Now, Steve is a descendant of one of those test veterans. But Mark, I mean... 
you know, the mirror makes a lot of fuss about these guys and has done mm-hmm. for a long time. But no other media really picked it up. They did get a brief mention from David Dimbleby yesterday in the commentary. But uh, and they did get towards the front of their column, which I think perhaps is why they, they got mentioned, because it's the 70th anniversary this year of the first test, the Plutonium Jubilee. But do you do you feel like this is enough honour? Is it doing the trick? Because, they, you know, this is the national commemoration. The government might say, well, look, you're there at Remembrance Day. What, what more do you want? Well, it would be if it was part of a sort of narrative in which they were being honoured generally, but they're not. It's in defiance of the government's diktats, isn't it? It's it, it, you, well, you know, you basically and the mirror have uh, promoted this cause to the extent that now they're allowed to do that. But that's it. They don't get the medal. They don't get any recognition. They don't even get any answers from the government. And I think it's sort of the hypocrisy of a certain sort of nationalism that is so stark here because generally Remembrance Day, you've only got to be a Labour leader who has a sort of slight crease in their shirt and you are all over the front pages as someone who has denigrated the people who fought for us and so on. You've only got to be someone who doesn't want to wear a poppy because you, you think that that promotes war rather than um, rather than remembers it in, in a pacifist way or something like that. And you will be denounced as being a traitor and so on. Mm. All of that. And yet, when you are an actual test nuclear test veteran like that, someone who actually has gone through the most appalling suffering by being in the by being in the military for the nation, you are then just swept away. And that is the history, isn't it? That is the history of sort yeah. of the of false nationalism, if you like. Um, and that chap there in the photograph, Brian Unthank, uh, from Irith in Kent, he's in his mid-80s now, uh, and he's had 87 skin cancers removed from his body and he's had radiotherapy 13 times never mind of course being at the bomb test in the first place uh and i very much doubt there's any other veterans there and there are veterans that had their legs blown off you know people who've who've seen terrible conflict and so on i doubt there's any others had quite as much nhs experience as this chap or quite so much cancer which could potentially be linked to their service i don't know of any other veterans injuries which could lead to cancer uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. And therefore it's an embarrassment to them. And then the story about them being tested for their blood and the urine and all that, and then it's and then there's no answers come. For, and this has been the history of it. I mean, there's no greater expert than you uh, on this issue, is there? That, that over all of this time, any bit of information that comes out has had to be absolutely like leave it out of the government now of the yeah. Ministry of Defence and so on. There's not a sort of hint at any point of anybody volunteering like to say, oh yeah, this is a really moving, terrible story. These people were treated in the most appalling way. Their suffering has been terrible. We've we've got to give them record. No, at any point, anything that's got out of them has to be absolutely squeezed out of them. Do you know what? And- if they did actually start being open about it, I would probably lose some interest. Because it's, I'm that kind of person. I'm just oppositional. I'm having so I'm my six-year-old at the moment. I'm trying to teach her not to do it. It's just not working. But I'm just going, if someone tells me no, I go, right, well, I'm going to go. And that's it. And that's just that's just who I am. So if it's because they make it so difficult that 
that it becomes the story and it gives me the reason to keep carrying on and so on. I um, think it's a, it's a, it's a, a, as always with these stories, it's an awful story because of the way they've been treated. It's also an extraordinarily inspiring story because people such as yourself have been so tenacious in keeping it alive. The and the incredibly, the have kept it alive. And the veterans uh, who have been like that, the guy there talking about we just want recognition incredibly moving the articulate guy who talks who just describes in 30 seconds with such clarity what happened the the stark sort of contrast between the people who have not been brought up to be presenters or to be journalists and yet they are able to describe in such clear fashion these extraordinary events that they were made to go through yeah the contrast between that and the skullduggery and the sort of like shimmying away of, of people for the Ministry of Defence and so on. The people who've you know, all been from very different backgrounds, from those those test veterans, for example, a succession of prime ministers and governments who've got, oh, there's nothing we really can yeah. do about it. And then there's the stark contrast of the, the, as I say, of the nationalism of it. These people who are denying those veterans, the slightest thing, it's not like they're after much, just recognition, that's all. Yeah. And, and the, the, the video that we're... We're watching Sorry. at the moment for the sake yeah. of those Eastern Nation podcasts is when the veterans invited me to join their unit as they walked down Whitehall. They're just approaching the cenotaph now. And at the moment, in a minute, Brian there on the left-hand side is going to call yeah. eyes left and uh, they'll all pay their respects as they march past. I'm back in the, the third line as we go through. Now, it's not my place to march with veterans or to be in the cenotaph parade, but they said to me that there was an empty space and that as I'd been reporting what it was like to be a veteran, I should be reporting from, from the middle of their unit as they walked down the cenotaph. So that's what I did on the basis everyone was happy for me to do that. Um, and it was it was very moving being part of it because mm-hmm. you get to lay your wreath, you get to be there and 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 to you know pay your respects. And they did get some mention, as I said, on the BBC. Um, but, you know, yesterday uh, was about commemorating the veterans, really, you know, all our veterans, not just these guys, marking the sacrifice they've made for their country, whether you agree with war and whether you don't. And having spoken to a lot of veterans, they are evenly split. Yeah, of course, whether yeah. nuclear weapons are good or bad, whether they needed to do it, whether they're terrible things, whatever. But let me just read out a statement which came out from the Prime Minister yesterday. It was released to mark Remembrance Sunday. And Rishi Sunak said, this year more than ever, we're reminded of the huge debt of gratitude we owe those who lay down their lives to protect their country. As we fall silent together on Remembrance Sunday, we will honour the memories of the men and women who we have lost and pay tribute to the brave soldiers of Ukraine as they continue their fight for freedom. Now, in August, that same person, Rishi Sunak, promised on the record to the Daily Mirror that he would support an investigation into whether or not the tests constituted a criminal offence against the test veterans. Um, And, of course, our revelations that some of them had blood and urine samples taken from the tests and they're now being refused access to them is potentially a criminal offence because it's it's an offence to withhold medical records from somebody. Now, Mark and our viewers, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but despite me asking Downing Street half a dozen times if Rishi Sunak would stand by that comment, they have refused so far, refused not even a say something different, they have refused to issue any comment on that pledge that he made in August. Now, Mark, he was in the running for number 10 at the time. Words might come a bit cheap in those circumstances. I suppose he might be thinking that it's a lot more expensive right now to open this particular can of worms, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's expensive, but I don't think it's just that, is it? It's it's that um, he, he would have to take on various people in the Ministry of Defence and so on who would not want to, uh, who, who don't want to give any recognition to to the veterans, and he doesn't, he won't want to do that. He won't want to upset them. Mm. Now he's in this position, I, I guess. I don't know, or well, you know, maybe, maybe. This is, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but maybe he's just a generally untrustworthy soul all round. You cynic, Mark. What, what makes you think that Rishi Sunak is untrustworthy? Could it be that he conspired against Boris Johnson? Could it be that uh, he said one thing and did something else? Who Could it be that he offered... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, who would have thought... Who would have thought that someone who says that we have to make tough choices and make vicious spending cuts uh, that are going to be very, very difficult to carry out while your wife is richer than the bloody king might in any way be duplicitous? Yeah, I don't know what a difficult choice would be for Rishi Sunak, you know, whether to have the tennis court on the left or on the the right. We've had to, with all the rising energy prices, we've had to turn off the chandelier in one of the ballrooms. So we're all in it together. Yes, we're economising by having slightly different type of caviar. Now, Mike says, has the Veterans Minister, Johnny Mercer, had anything to say about this? He was very vocal when he wasn't in government. Part of the issue with being in government, Mike, is that you can't really start saying stuff, which is probably, which is why some prime ministers, of course, bring bring noisy people into government because it sort of shuts them up a little bit. But as uh, he's now running his own Office of Veterans Affairs again, Johnny Mercer, he has said on the record that he's supporting the test veterans. I know from my own investigations that he's working very hard behind the scenes to try and get a few things delivered for them. How much success he's having, uh, I don't know at this stage. We'll have to find out, won't we? Um, but keep asking us your questions. What do you think about the nuclear veterans at the Cenotaph? What do you think about the fact that nobody else really interviewed them? It was just the mirror covering these guys. It's not being picked up by any of the other newspapers, not by the BBC or Sky that were there. And I went up to them and I said, you should go and talk to those guys and we, did, we got nothing out of it um, it's against the narratives that's the reason isn't it because there is a there is a narrative that comes from the establishment about remembrance day which is that uh, our, there is a, a ongoing line that goes backwards hundreds of years that should make us proud to be British and these are our servicemen and women who defended us and we were all in it together and we remain all in it together and once you puncture that by saying actually the people who served, the people who you are commemorating, were treated appallingly, you know, then that opens up, that completely destroys that narrative. The next thing is you find that Earl Haig, who originally was the, the Haig Foundation, was the uh, the institution that the poppy was created by originally, uh, that Earl Haig was, of all of the generals, the most despised in the First World War for being completely incompetent and moronic. And it was utterly, utterly... Even Lloyd George found him disreputable because when the commemoration happened at the end of the First World War, he insisted that he wanted to sit in the coach that went at the front, having been responsible for maybe 300,000 people dying in the oh. in, in Europe and so on. So once you sort of... Once you open up that... That once you puncture that narrative that we were all in it together at all times, which is what this does, because it says, right, these people that we're commemorating, they're symbols of the greatness of Britain and so on. Oh, hang on. They were put on a beach 
almost certainly quite deliberately in order to be tested, in order to be guinea pigs. And then since then, uh, all of their pain and suffering has just been yeah. ignored. And, and that just, it's not part of the narrative of what Remembrance Sunday is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where the veterans march, we hail the greatness of Britain, and then we condemn a Labour leader for having one of his cufflinks not round in the right way. Yeah. And it's worth saying as well, I should think, as a lot of other veterans on that march from other parts of the military and other service who will have had war pensions refused who will be having yeah, yeah, yeah. veterans uk who will be having problems with housing who will be more at risk of homelessness and i think generally what you said there mark's quite right in that this is a moment where the nation stops to honor these men and then they're told well that's it that's all that's the honor you're getting mm. and some of them you know get a lots of bits of tin and some of them don't even get that which is kind of quite disgusting now susan says who i was uh, happy to march next with next to you yesterday. She says, while marching yesterday, people were shouting from the crowd that nuclear test veterans deserve a medal. So if the public are behind the veterans, why can't the government be? Um, I think not enough of the public yet, Susan, probably. If there was a significant cohort of the voting public who might change, you know, the, the way they think about a government, uh, then as a result of what's happening with the nuclear test veterans, then I think you might have... Um, a government that's perhaps a bit more keen to do something. But going back to what you said before, Mark, about the Ministry of Defence and how Rishi can't do something because they won't let him, that's the kind of thing which, you know, is generally said to be part of maybe a conspiracy theory or sort of a uh, slightly outdated attitude about Whitehall and how it works. But in all my investigations and stories that I've done about the MOD, you know, the MOD, or Admiralty as it used to be in the old... Uh, air ministries they used to be they were there lot the admiralty was there long before any prime minister right the admiral it was the admiralty and the monarch to start with and then you know prime ministers came along and then there were planes and we got the air ministry and then they smashed the admiralty and the air ministry together to create the mod and i just have the the, the idea that at the ministry of defense they have a rather more long-term view than a prime minister does. A prime minister might be thinking about five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are thinking, mate, you're just temporary. We, you know, we we can see past you. Mm. We've been here before you. Actually, you're not really in charge. And I, I genuinely think there's some of that attitude within the MOD, and that's part of the problem. Perhaps. Yes. Well, but, that's yes, that that's true of that and many other institutions, isn't it? That's that's why you know that parliamentary democracy is only is only it only gives us a part of democracy, doesn't it? Because it's there are lots of people in charge of the, you know, the military, the judiciary, the banks, and so on, who aren't elected. Uh, who aren't elected swords? So I'm sure they do take that at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be gone. We'll still be here. Yeah, they've never, they've never yet had. They've, you know, I think they kind of see prime ministers as a an irritant rather than the boss. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But we should have to see, won't we? Um, now, there was one of the veterans who was marching in the front row there, Terry, who took a bit of a funny turn afterwards. I need to ring his daughter later on, but I think he was doing all right once he had to sit down. He actually had chest pains as he was going past the cenotaph, which is about halfway around the march when they have to turn around and come back again. He didn't tell anybody until we got to the end and finished. And then he sort of started just sort of weaving on the spot and felt really poorly. Um, that, that's how determined these guys are. That when you've got chest pains, you just keep on marching. And well, if uh, when when they get to ninety nine, we can get them to run around the garden to raise money for the NHS, and that will be how we we get through the winter. 
Exactly. Yeah, that we'll we'll depend on them for that then, won't we? As well. And uh, now, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about um, the honours that are being given to the test veterans? Should they be happy with their little trip around the cenotaph, or should there be something more? Let us know. But thanks for Mark's segue there into the NHS. We have that. We're going to go back to that front page story now, and another story inside the paper. So um, the General Secretary of Unison not Unite, Unison, a lady called Christina McCannia, um, McCannia even, she gave an interview ahead of a ballot on strike action of uh, 300,000 members of Unison. Um, and she said this, difficult things will happen if they don't make the right choices. And one of those is the NHS is almost ready to collapse. I've heard so many people say it now. This is partly a deliberate attempt by the government to run down the NHS to bring in some kind of organisation to run it. Again, it's one of those, it's always been said, hasn't it, that, you know, the Tory plan is to bring down the NHS and make it all private. But here we've got someone who's the head of the, the union who's in the in the negotiations with government or would want to be. Um, I suppose, Mark, where, where do you stand on strike action in the NHS? Because they've had a hell of a time. Pay is appalling. What pay rises there have been have come out of the general budget. So actually their jobs have just got harder because suddenly they don't have stethoscopes and things. But I suppose, you know, Jeremy Hunt would say to you, well, where do you think the money should come from if they want billions more to be paid to go to work? Yeah, well, where does the, where does the money come from, <laughs> says the government that has just blown... That literally prints the money. That, yeah, and, and that found, all right, might have been the previous government, given that there are a number of previous governments now, but his predecessor, bless her, a woman who... Uh, I think when she went, we all felt, whatever we felt about her, she'd been such a part of our lives for such a long time that it was very, very moving when she parted. Nonetheless, during that little brief interregnum when she was magically the Prime Minister, she managed to blow £30 billion. So that's what I think is so different between how they're likely to get away with it now from in 2010. In 2010, the idea that there must be austerity because we've wasted all this money. Look at all the money that's gone. It's all gone and you know who's taken it? It's the disabled in Newcastle. They were the ones who were doing all the speculating and so on, all of that sort of thing. People using libraries and swimming pools, that's where all the money's gone. Look at them, the, the poor they're rolling in it, the poor. The rich have got hardly any left. and that, But there was a body of people who bought that. I think there is a much, much smaller number of people who will accept that now, that the idea that when you've just had this £30 billion, uh, lost, that you've got a government that um, someone that we're going to come on to, I suspect, in a few moments, who was responsible for chucking £37 billion on a useless track and trace system during covid to various mates and so on that they had. It, this is so clear now that over the last 12 years that they've been chucking all this money at their mates and so on. Uh, I think it's unlikely that anything like the same number of people will accept the the narrative that it's the poor that have got all the money and therefore the poor have got to have things taken off them. Not only that, but there's already been one lot of austerity that went on for years that cut services Including the health service and stop growth did and yeah so uh, so now it's much more severe and much much easier to oppose. I yeah, think. they can't blame the Labour Party this time, can they? 
Well, they will try and blame the Labour Party. I, I saw that the uh, good people of one newspaper said that this chaos has all been brought about by Ed Miliband, which... <laughs> Ed Miliband, he was never Prime Minister, Ed Miliband. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes... Well, you might as well blame random people. Do you know who's caused it? Maureen in the dry cleaners up Walthamstow High Street. She's caused all this. Yeah. When, you've got, when you're waiting, when your granny's waiting 17 hours on a trolley, that's her fault. It's her fault for falling over and using the NHS resources. <laughs> you should all be a bit more thoughtful than yeah. that. And you shouldn't it's... have in-work benefits and you shouldn't no. have low pay and expect us to top you up. It's not our fault you're low paid. You're just poor. Yes. Well, one of the... So, coming back to the question, I don't want to be a lot of politician to answer the question. So... Coming back to the question, I think all of that is the, the is, goes towards explaining why it is that uh, when the Royal College of Nursing votes to go on strike, and the Royal College of Nursing wasn't even affiliated to the trade union movement, it's extraordinary. It was a very sort of soft union. When they vote to go on strike, they are, as far as I can see, uh, that strike decision is largely popular which is unprecedented the same as the the rail unions despite all of the inconvenience and so on it's pretty popular i think even a majority of conservative voters have been supporting the rail strikes haven't they mm. that's unbelievable and that's why because it's much much harder to sell the idea that this is the fault of the people at the bottom you know who's caused all the problems the people who've suffered most from it it's so bonkers it always was but now I think it's so nakedly so. And also, of course, they don't have the, the, the Liberal Democrats sort of helped them pass that last time because they sat there guffawing and pointing and all that. We're uh, 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 in Parliament uh, going along with it as well, which they don't have now. They don't have any friends outside their own ranks trying to sell this. So I suspect it's going to be far, far easier. I wandered into a pub the other night and these four people from the RMT came bounding up to didn't know they were. And they were so jolly and cheerful and stuff and they'd been on a picket line all day and they went all right mom wanted a picture and everything and i thought oh these aren't people who these aren't people who feel defeated these people who these are people who feel that they've got the public on on their side in a way that i don't think would have been possible 10 12 years ago yeah yeah i mean there was one paper during the week that was reporting that i think it was the royal college of nursing had a 50 billion pound war chest to pay nurses to go out on strike and i thought that's that's money that the nurses have given the union that's yeah. their money and they're being paid they'd be paid like 50 quid a day and like you're presenting it like that's untold riches and uh using like public money this is in nurses own money that they've just given to the union for the future and now they're able to be supported by their union which is the point of a union everybody anyway thank you for explaining some of that to us mark um now keep asking us your questions what do you think about anything in the nhs going out on strike do you think that they should be somehow banned from going on strike because the nhs is so important do you have faith that the nurses are still going to be able to help you if you're in an emergency get into the comments let us know but first off there is some good news in the world well it's sort of good news it might be bad news we don't know let's pretend it's good news here it is Now, there it is. It's in the headline, isn't it? Matt Hancock could be voted out of the jungle on Friday. He's been stung by scorpions and covered in crap for the last week, as opposed to the absolute 
bucket of stuff he was pouring over most of the country for the last few years. Uh, and he could be voted out on Friday. Now, Mark, uh, what I was going to ask you really is, is this proof that although the constituents of uh, West Suffolk, I think it is, appear to be unable to flush this turd for another two years or so, Anton Deck might just be offering the country a slightly more democratic solution than Parliament does? Oh, this is really dispiriting for me, this story, because this this has gone, for me, much the same way as the World Cup, in that that I was really looking forward to it, and now I can't. Um, I've got a very good friend, uh, my very good friend, Sean Walsh, who is a brilliant comic, and he was... Uh, he told me some months ago that he was going on it, and I was. Uh, I thought, well, you've made your mind up. There's no point in me saying it's a bad idea. But he, he was, got, and then he didn't know until the moment. So when I mean, all the rest of the country knew that Matt Hancock going, I've been saying actually, I think the one thing that would make it worth Matt Hancock being on there is that if just as he was about to put his head in a tank full of snakes and poisonous ants, Anton Deck said. Uh, now, unfortunately, usually we give contestants like a plastic mosque, but we're not going to do that because we've run out of protective equipment. <laughs> and then at the end of it, when he's got all his stars, they go, we're still not giving you any food, but we are going to stand under the tree and clap instead every Thursday. <laughs> I just, I think that this is a really... This has really annoyed me, this story, and partly because I have a sort of person, slightly personal involvement in it, but... It's not. It, it's it's ruined it for me because it isn't. A, this isn't a joke. I thought it's stupid. This is not you know, for a comic to say that, but it's not. It's, it isn't a joke. And the fact that it's like, all oh, right, we. Di-, it's not sort of. Oh, we disagree, and we have you know different views on various things and so on. This is we. Well, people watching this will know. They know what he did. Ah, the protective equipment that went missing and wasn't there, and then he blamed the nurses for changing too often, and the billions upon billions of pounds of contracts that were handed out throughout COVID, and he was part of the government that was passing these rules and then flaunting them all and having the parties, and he defended it all and so on. It's And then on top of that, he then goes, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go out and, and take part in this thing to rehabilitate myself and then pretend that it's in order to try and get the politician's persona across in a way we normally... So that's what he's doing, is it? He's trying to explain the necessity of a tight fiscal policy in between drinking buckets of kangaroo sperm or whatever he's doing. I just It's such a horrible, filthy sort. My son, actually, has got a better attitude. He just, got, he just goes, Dad, you've just got to embrace it or you'll just have a heart attack. And I think, yeah, maybe. And... Uh, I see them sort of, it reduces it all to just a personal level. And you could do that with anyone. In 1948, instead of the Nuremberg trials, if you put the bloody surviving Nazis out in I'm a Celebrity, you'd have people going, I will tell you what, whatever he did in the, whatever they did in the past during the years of the Third Reich, you know, you've got to say Adolf Eichmann's a good sport because he's sat in a bucket of spiders. It's just so, so horrible i wish they hadn't done it and uh i don't uh, 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 i don't care he's, he's making himself look good 
No, always yeah, a good sport with the scorpions. And if you leave, if you let this go on, I'm going to go on for hours about this. So you must stop me. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think as well, it's partly, you know, it's like you say, it's it's not really appropriate to be a joke. He says he wants to show politicians are human beings, but uh, that's not his job. Literally, his job is to represent the people of Suffolk, and he's not doing that while he's in there. And um, I do think I agree with you, though. I think it would be good if the, he was about to do a very dangerous trial and and deck just said well there's no knee pads yes exactly just... we're gonna take the helmet away but and uh you know this little clip that's holding you over the abyss in the jungle we'll we'll get yeah. one of our mates make you've one got <laughs> yeah exactly we've given, we've given my mate who runs a pub we've given him the contract for it he couldn't find any of the stuff but you'll have to make do with a bin liner now off you go with your bungee jump i know uh, all of that but he just it, so it's just sort of spoil it for me. And I and also, of course, you do, they, ITV, now I also have certain insights out because my partner was a member, was, was on the programme once five years ago. So she sort of knows very much what happens uh, out there and how the, it was, it was quite funny when I actually went, because they, they're creating a narrative of Mike Tyndall, for example, who I'm sure is, a, you know, I'm not sure, I don't know, but he seems like a very nice chap. And he's got, uh, as a sports fan, you know, this is a man who's won a World Cup winner's medal for the rugby and stuff. And bless him. I mean, all of that. But he's sort of got that. They create this event. A bit like a soap opera. You're writing a character. So you've got this character, Mike Tyndall, the avuncular big Uncle Mike comes in. Is there a spider? Come on, I'll sort the spider out. Ooh, there you go. I've got it. Release it into the wild. Mm. And so they've only got to show four or five things like that a day to keep that character looking like that and my partner said i was the one who did the spiders but of course they never showed that because that wasn't part of the character that they were trying to portray but she's i know that she's she's fine with a big horrible spider so uh but they don't want to show that that they, they you know so they create the character that they that they want really uh by and large like you can't exactly invent it but you mostly can and yeah. so, and they're brilliant at it. You know, they're absolutely brilliant at it. And they wanted to move the story on from Matt Hancock shouldn't be here. They wanted that story for the first two or three days. For all we know, there are people in there every day going, look, I'm finding this really difficult. You shouldn't be here. You're a disgrace and so on. That quite probably, those arguments have taken place in there, but that's not part of the story they want to show now. Now they want to show yeah. a different story and so on. I know this probably isn't the most important thing in the world, but... Yeah, well, it's, that's how someone's presented, isn't it? And I think presenting him, him as a nice, rounded, normal human being, which he definitely isn't, especially from some of the, the absolute lack of self-awareness he's had and some of the tasks and shows on there, is probably not a good idea or the right thing to do before a public inquiry. Maybe after a public inquiry, but not beforehand. Thank you very much. Now, Mike says he claimed he went in to highlight dyslexia as a campaign issue. I refuse to watch, but I don't believe he's mentioned it once while in there. No, I don't think he has, Mike. I think you're entirely right. Um and the fact that he's dyslexic, of course, is sort of irrelevant when there's when there's nothing to read or write. <laughs> so he's not really showing anything about overcoming his problem either, is he? Anyway, uh, that just seems to be the world we're living in. He is uh, brilliantly for Australia. They're able to vote him out. I suppose that's the good news. The bad news is he's coming back here. Um, anyway, thank you, Mark, for joining us and taking us through all that. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. 
We will see you all again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. There will be questions in Parliament this week about the nuclear test veterans issue. So keep an eye on these channels and we'll bring them to you when we can. Thanks for watching, everybody. See you Wednesday. Bye bye.